0: Head over to TheInforium.com slash Nebula to sign up now. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of The Inforium, a podcast about productivity, self-development, personal finance, and sometimes bad movie theories. I've got a bad movie theory. Really? Yeah. So I watched Home Alone 2 for the first time in, I hate to say this, but I think the word is decades, plural. Yay. Because I'm pretty sure I have not seen Home Alone 2 or 3 since I was less than 10 years old. And I'm 29 now, so yeah, I think decades. We were, we watched Home Alone 1 and 2 last night. Now, Home Alone 1, you know, funny movie, the, the bandits get hurt, ha ha, whatever. Have you seen Home Alone 2? I don't remember. I
1: think I also haven't seen them in so long that I just can't even picture which ones I've seen or not seen.
0: The, the traps that that kid creates in, in Home Alone 2 are one step down from Saw, essentially. You know, like that's a different framing. Like, one, the one that he does, he, uh, he lights the guy's hair or hat on fire with a blowtorch that's tied by a string to a door frame. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of like a a re-gag from the first movie where he does it in the first movie, and the guy sticks his head in snow to extinguish it. Well, the only source of water in the room is the toilet, but he filled the toilet with kerosene. So, you know, the guy sticks his head, his flaming head, in a kerosene-filled toilet and basically blows up the entire house that they're in, which led me to come up with this theory. Home Alone 2 is secretly a superhero movie. Kevin McAllister requires less prep time to create these genius-level traps than Batman does. Meanwhile, the bandits, though very, very stupid, are essentially immortal. So Home Alone 2 is pretty much the precursor to Batman vs. Superman. All right. That's basically what it it it.
1: is. Uh, (laughs) Somebody get McCully Culkin on the phone. He could be the next (laughs)
0: Batman, because we don't have enough already. We keep making new ones. We might as well do this That's true. You need a lot of Batmans and a lot of Spider-Mans. Well, I think Spider-Verse has now opened the floodgates. Oh yeah, we they're definitely they're getting ready for a Batverse. They, they need this one
1: now before <laughs> they can do it.
0: Yep. All right, my friend, well, it has been? It's been a couple of weeks. It so, has how you been? Uh It's been going I on I don't know. Time. It's been going on our uh, quarantine hellscape that we
1: live perception. in. Um
0: I'm not going to do the see. rest of that song.
1: Yeah. Uh <laughs> I've been doing things. Uh Developing a bit of insomnia is one of them, but that's a less exciting thing. Uh, on the more exciting end of things, I have accomplished a few things in the last couple of weeks that I'm excited about. Ooh! Uh, I started theming tell. my Instagram grid by row, which is a little—it's just a little thing—but each row mm-hmm. at the end of the week kind of matches in color theme, and this is amusing to me because my creativity needs constraints now. I've taken too many photos. And now I need something that says you have to do this theme three ways. How are you going to do it? So that's kind of reigniting a bit of the photography interest. And then it's really challenging to stick pixel art in there. So I have to come up with
0: something clever to do it. Um, I think creativity always needs constraints.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like before when I wasn't nearly as used to photos, the constraint was merely take a photo. And that was good enough because I didn't know what I was doing. But Mm -hmm. now I got to get creative or I'll get bored. Um, I regained very recently, earlier this week, the ability to do 20 pull-ups in one set. Really? I'm pretty excited about that. First time I've been able to do that in a while. I, I am, I, I'm not quite ready, but I'm almost ready to fight my university self and win. You know, I'm almost ready. Yeah. I'm not quite ready. I think he'd still win, but I'm getting there. And that's pretty cool considering it's been quite a few years. Ooh, you know,
0: you should do. This this would be a very cheap acquisition because you, do you already have some form of weight that you use, like a dumbbell or a kettlebell or anything? I have a couple of dumbbells and a standing pull-up bar. So uh, get yourself a, uh, it's like a, it's like a lifting belt, but it's not like a leather one, it's just like a fabric lifting belt with a chain on it so you can do weighted pull-ups. Oh, that'd be cool. I remember back yeah. in college, we had that weighted vest. Yeah, and, yeah, like yeah. That sort of a thing would be a cool idea. But yeah, I got when I was, when I was able to go to the gym, um, I was up to 45 pounds for sets of five, which are pretty good. Gym has been tough because, uh, number one, like we just moved into this house, but, uh, for people who don't know, Denver went back into heavier restrictions and the gyms aren't closed, but the new gym that I have joined, they're on a reservation system and the reservations are so limited that. You have to like they're booked out a week in advance. And if you want a certain slot, you need to be there like the moment it opens a week in advance. Oh, you're, to get you're registering
1: slot. for classes all over
0: again. It, it literally feels like that. Or what it actually feels like when I had uh, my my IT job in college where I worked at the help desk, the way you set your hours is every week they would open up the calendar of all possible hours. And it was first come, first serve. So people would just be sitting there refreshing, refreshing, refreshing the uh, the calendar, and the moment they opened up, they'd grab what they want, and that's what it feels like. I always love those systems;
1: they're great.
0: Yeah. So, um, luckily, my friend Charles had a bunch of weight stuff like up in his garage, so he's lending me a bench and a squat rack, nice pull up bar. So I need to put them together, and then I'll have a bit of a home gym to use. Because yeah, going to the gym right now is kind of tough.
1: Yeah, it just seems like obnoxious um, mm-hmm. other than that uh i created a cool pixel art for the pokemon delmise that was that was cool and this is the most important of my accomplishments in the last few weeks i learned how to play the game boy advance
0: startup sound on piano
1: and when i do it <laughs> it feels
0: so good i wish you had a piano in front of you i so wish you i had one of,
1: yeah i wish i wish i could do it right now but <laughs> When I, It just makes me feel so good to hear that Game Boy Advance sound because it's I'm so old, nostalgic. I'm old
0: man now. I, I saw a YouTube video recently. I can't even remember the channel, but uh he had taken like all of the startup sounds and animations from all the consoles and blended them together so seamlessly. It was great. Uh, I'll try to find it. I don't know if I can find it because I can't even remember what it was called, but. Yeah, go, I don't know. Go on YouTube and look up like game startup sounds and it's probably on there. It's pretty cool. But dude, congrats on hitting 20 pull-ups in one set again. I still haven't gotten there. I think my max has been like 14 or 15.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's one cool milestone that I've been trying to hit for a while. Yeah. And I hit it one point a couple years <clears throat> ago again, but then I immediately lost it. This time I'm hoping to maintain it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if I'll be One doing thing, hanging sit ups anymore. That was very stupid and dangerous when I did it in college yeah, from it the seems, from the not even screwed in pull up bar. That was
0: really irresponsible of me. And it seems a little yeah, it seems a little bit irresponsible and dangerous. Yeah. Uh you could buy like a pull up bar I, machine. I could get like the legit kind where I can Yeah. Where I can do that. Charles, like Charles gave me one of those two. It's one of the ones that has like the pull-up bar on the back and on the front, there's the dip bars. See, I have a standing pull-up bar rest. like that, but I did not secure it
1: to the wall or anything. So while I can do pull-ups safely, mm. cause they're more controlled, the hanging sit-ups is too much circular motion when I, yeah. when I curl upward. So I would want to actually, what's the word I'm looking for? Anchor it. Somewhere. Yeah. Then I could do hanging sit-ups again. Until then, it is again really stupid and I will regret it when I tip the
0: whole thing over. Yeah, don't do that. Uh this probably doesn't help now because it is 19 degrees outside Fahrenheit, but there are like rooted in concrete pull-up bars somewhat Ooh. near where you live. Okay, so what you're saying is I need to be like the kind of person who braves
1: the cold so much that when there's a blizzard outside. I'm out there doing like shirtless hanging sit-ups.
0: Yes. You know, and i, I and mean, just, Rocky does that in Rocky and 4, And I'm like drinking, so. I've got
1: a drink, like a sports drink in one hand, then I drink it upside down and I get it in my nose and I start to cough and then I fall off the bar.
0: Yeah. And then everybody's if like, wow, that, that dude's cool. I got this little sports drink kind of replacement because I was using Gatorade uh, diluted by half for my workouts. And then uh, I tried this stuff called Element and it's like, just a big packet of salts and potassium that you put in your water and it's actually pretty good. The first time I drank it though, I was like, what is this? This is so weird. It's like, it's just so salty, but, uh, it's pretty good. And, and I had the same reaction immediately like, and then two seconds later, wait, it's actually pretty good. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's kind of nice because it doesn't really have any sugar in it at all. And I didn't want to be drinking Gatorade for every workout. Yeah. So but uh, my point is, you know, since that's a whole assault, that would be great for you to accidentally get up your nose while you're upside down. Yeah, well, especially <laughs> if there's a blizzard out, as I previously described,
1: like I'm going to be having a great time yeah. being a cool, strong guy that that's true, may be found crying in the snow later that hour.
0: What is he, the ultimate badass or something? Uh, Well, I've got some things I did. And uh, you know I'm gonna have to make this project check-in worth it because we're batching today, so the this next is, episode is isn't true. gonna really one, have, have a one. project check-in, but it's fine. I think the the nature of the next episode will basically sort of replace any project yeah. check-in that there would have been. Yeah. Um. So this I think is the first episode that I am recording in the new house. So I guess that's project check-in number one. I moved into the new house, so we still got boxes everywhere. And I got a lot of stuff to do, but we are in the house. I have internet. We're good. We're, we're, we're settled enough that everything I need to like live my daily life has been set up, which means if I was a minimalist, I should probably just burn everything that remains in a box. Exactly. That's how you but do But I'm it. not. <laughs> Fire. Um, big achievement. We got our Christmas tree up last night.
1: Oh, nice. Boom. Is it an artificial one to-
0: or a real tree? It's a real tree. Cool. We went to the garden center, we had them cut it off. Uh, they strapped it to the top of my car, took it home. Yep, it's the real deal. But Anna's like, well, because we stole them the fake tree, why don't we have two Christmas trees? And that's super extra, but some things you need this year are super extra things because you can't go outside or have any real fun. So we're just yeah, gonna have so double Christmas trees. So just go all out. Why not? No rules. <laughs> um. The big accomplishment that I'm very proud of is as of Tuesday, which is yesterday, uh, I have a new study music track out nice on Spotify now. And by the time this episode goes live, the music video will be up on the Thomas Frank music channel. Uh, But for anybody who follows my study music playlists, it will be there. So on YouTube, on Spotify, the song is called Atmospheric Entry. I'm pretty proud of it because uh, I really had to push my knowledge of music production to make this song. Like the, the last one I did, Ischool Swords, was, you were there, it was like all done, live looped, and in terms of what was recorded into Logic, it was one track, because it was all my instruments going into the looper and then going into one input, which means I could do no mixing. Essentially, I could do a little bit of EQ, but everything was mixed down to one track as I recorded it, which is pretty cool, interesting learning experience. This was different. With um, this one, I exper- I experimented with using like two different mics to record the acoustic guitar at the same time, which is apparently what like the pros will do. They'll have one mic near the fretboard and then one mic near the the body. So that was interesting to learn how to mix those and position the mics to kind of decrease phasing, and then all the guitar is improvisational as before. Um, but one thing that I had to learn with this is to do the music video, I had to transcribe my own solo, which apparently is something they do in jazz all the time. Like they'll take an improvisational solo from somebody like, uh, uh, like John Coltrane or someone like that. And they will literally learn the solo exactly as it is just, just to learn how they did it. So I sort of am a jazz musician this week. How did you, you transcribe solo? it? Like, did you put it on in a, in an application, or is it on like a grand staff? You got some sheet music. So, well, I didn't actually transcribe it on paper. Um, what I did is, in my DAW, which I use Studio One, you can like you can set an in and out point, and then you can set it to loop. So I would basically just like set an in and out point for ten seconds, and then loop it over and over and over again, listening, 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 and then trying to play along with it until I got it down, and then move to the next 10 uh, 10 second segment. And uh, eventually I start combining them. So I've gotten to the point now where most of the song I have completely memorized and I can play even without the backing track. And then when I play it, you know, I can play it along and I've got most of the the timbre and the crux strings and the pinch harmonics and stuff as well. It's all kind of down. And I needed to do that because I want to film a music video. But I didn't want to film myself when I played the improv since that would have, um, compromised the positioning of the mics. So, and then I put a whole bunch of VSTs into it. There's like drums and tambourines. Uh, there's, I don't think anyone's actually going to notice this on their own, but my voice is in it really the whole time. Yeah. I, I created like a little bit of a choir out of my own voice just to make it a little bit more atmosphere. how very very Kanye west of you to do weird things with vocals yeah so that's out now and that was a big project um yeah i mean that's that's kind of been the main things is getting that song done getting the move done and then you know getting work done uh, along the way i did make some updates to the ultimate tasks notion template so for all my weird notion uh i don't know why i called them weird, I'm the weird Notion person. But for all my Notion interested followers, there are some updates to Ultimate Tasks, which I sent out to my Notion email newsletter. Uh, I think it's thomasjfrank.com slash Notion if you want to get on that or see my tutorials. And I think that's about it. And I saw you just mentioned you were trying out a cold tasks thing for the Notion
1: thing. And honestly,
0: oh that's yeah. a really
1: interesting feature. You know, usually I'm all yeah. detached from the fancy task world, but like that's that's one that should have been around. Already, I'm in.
0: I think so. Once you lay like, how it you,
1: works, I was like, how is this new? How did nobody do this?
0: Yeah, because like, even if you are generally good at keeping your task manager maintained, like everyone has those super stressful times in their life right now for me being one of them because of the move where stuff that has due dates doesn't get done and the due dates don't get updated. And then you're like, well, I don't even know when this should be moved to. So you, you end up kicking the can down the road. Yeah. And what I was thinking is, Cause I'm trying to take what ultimate tasks is with those multiple views, like today, next seven days, all that, and integrate that into our team dashboard pages that we have in our team workspace. And uh one thing that I've been struggling with 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 mine is well, when I want to look at what's due today, my today view also shows me what's overdue, which is useful. But if I have a bunch of stuff that's been overdue for more than a week because I'm moving or whatever, that's the first thing I see. So my idea was could I sort tasks that are over a week overdue maybe to the bottom or hide them or put them in a cold tasks view and the answer is yes all you got to do is create a property it's like okay check if this task has been due for more than a week and it's not checked off if so it's cold and then you can just sort or filter anything that's cold
1: yeah that's a pretty cool like approach to
0: something that inevitably happens
1: to every task management system i use
0: mm mm-hmm Yep, that's that. As much as I have been into productivity forever, I've never been like super consistently good at keeping tasks perfectly as they should be in terms of due dates and everything like that. No, I get optimistic, and then I'm like, "I'll
1: I'll do everything that's late this Monday," and then it's like, "Of course, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous." So it just continues.
0: Yeah, and that's actually an interesting thing I want to talk about today because one person was uh, on Twitter was saying like they go through this cycle of doing exactly what you just said, like being like, okay, well, I'm really behind, but Monday I'm going to do all the behind stuff. And then that never happens. And I forget the way they worded it exactly, but it was like, you're waiting for that time in your life when you're not so overburdened by all the stuff you'd already planned to do. So you can just do the things you want to do now. And it becomes this perpetual moving target.
1: Where it's like, okay,
0: I want to do this, but I got to get these 50 things done first. So let me get those done first. And then I can do the things I want to do. And that's just forever. (laughs) My friend Jordan was like, you know, she's in her 20s and in grad school. And she's like, I've been waiting for my life to calm down so I can do the things I want to do. And then my friend Rohan was like, I'm about 10 years older than you. And I can tell you that day never comes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just need to eventually clear out the backlog So, you know, maybe cold, maybe some cold tasks are just going to stay cold until one day you decide to delete them. Like, okay, that's obviously not a priority. It's not getting done. Um, But I wanted a place where they can safely live, you know, so you can go review them without having to like check them off. So, you know, a date criteria works. So, yeah. Uh, So on this episode of the Inforium, I suppose we could continue to blabber and just talk about our personal lives or we could talk about something that we planned on talking about. Oh, we could talk about like something that's probably represented in the title. That'd be yeah, that's an idea. So we're we're talking about um Dilbert practice where you practice like Dilbert. And apparently that works. I've seen a lot of articles about this. I don't quite understand where the name came from, but <laughs> yep. <laughs> That joke is dumb. Okay, we're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about deliberate practice. Um, the act of, of practicing deliberately to, you know, to progress as quickly as possible. And I wanted to talk about this topic because I am working on a video all about it, uh, which will also be live by the time this podcast goes live. I am, after we finish recording this, I'm heading out to shoot the final segments of A-roll, B-roll that we need and then be putting it together. Um, and actually, this is there is something that I can plug here. So the video I'm doing on Deliberate Practice is sort of woven around an interview that I did with my friend Charles Cornell, who is this amazing jazz piano player, musician, has his own YouTube channel. Uh, you may have heard of him. And there is an unabridged version of that interview, which is about half an hour long, on Nebula. So I have a new series on Nebula called Unabridged, and when I do these kind of interviews, I'm going to put the, the uncut versions there. Um, so if you want to sign up for Nebula, you can just go to watchnebula.com to sign up. And I think you can actually go to my channel and watch one video for free before I even having to sign up. That is on there. And I also put the audio version on the ad-free feed of the Inforium. So if you don't know, you're probably listening to the public feed if you're in the majority of listeners. Um, The public feed is ad supported. The Nebula feed does not have any ads. And also, there will be the occasional exclusive thing, such as this uncut interview. So if you want to listen to the whole half an hour conversation with myself and Charles, that'll be there. Uh, But for now, we'll have however long this conversation is with myself and Martin. Yeah. So much Dilbert practice. So much. So much of it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to get that video out. In fact, the video is an example of deliberate practice. One particular facet of deliberate practice that uh, Charles and I have talked about, which is observing how other people do things and then trying to sort of replicate that in your own work. Because I have never done a video before where I take an interview I did with somebody else and like weave the entire video around it. You and I did something a little bit similar earlier this year when we did that working from home video about planning. But that I feel is a bit different because I did about half the video as a normal video. And then I said, all right, we're going to transition into this interview. And then it was just the interview. Um, But I've always admired my friend Matt D'Avella's style where he'll take an interview that he's done with somebody like uh, Greg McKeown, who wrote, what's the book? Essentialism. And he'll do an interview, but then you know, take snippets of the interview and sort of weave his own voiceover, his own on camera segments in and out of that conversation. It's a really interesting style. So I'm kind of trying to go for something like that in this video. That's cool. And, you know, observing the things that Matt's done because he's, you know, sort of the master at it, at least from my perspective. Well, hello there, and welcome to a quick ad break here on the Enforium. So this week's episode is sponsored by our friends over at Skillshare, which has an awesome learning library of thousands of different classes you can use to boost your skills, which we're talking about in this episode about deliberate practice, boost your skills in a ton of different areas from graphic design to video editing to animation to music production. Uh, I've actually used a couple of the classes on Skillshare to give me some insights into music production, EQ, mixing, things like that all sorts of different topical areas, but I'm very excited to talk about a specific class that just launched on Skillshare because my friend Charles Cornell, who is a fantastically talented jazz piano player and uh, also can play the trumpet and the drums and probably every instrument actually, but he has a new class on an intro to improvisation. So if you, like me, like to play your instrument improvisationally, or you would love to learn how to sit down and just play something that sounds good completely off the top of your head, that is a skill that can be learned. A lot of people think that improvisation is something that some people are born with. It's one of those weird innate talents, and other people are not. But I'm here to tell you that improvisation is something that you can learn and get better at. And Charles's class is an excellent introduction to it. There is an hour of instructional material, including some backing tracks where you can actually play improvisationally along with him, sort of like trading some lines. And then at the end of the class, there is a 57-minute bonus lesson where he teaches me some more uh, intermediate improvisation techniques. So it's a great class. Check it out. I'm in it. So, of course, I have to plug it. And I also have to plug, I have a sort of brand new class on Skillshare. So, there's something on Skillshare called Skillshare Live, where occasionally there will be like live classes. And I did an exclusive live Q&A session for my Skillshare students quite recently. And the replay, which I guess is called an encore, is now up on my Skillshare profile. So, to check that out, check Charles's class out, or check out any of the other thousands of classes on the platform, head on over to Skillshare.com slash Inforium. When you sign up at that link, you're going to get yourself a free trial where you can test out the platform. And after that, Skillshare is a very affordable learning platform with plans starting at less than 10 10- bucks a month so once again skillshare.com slash inforium and big thanks to skillshare for sponsoring this episode and supporting our show another big thanks goes out to our second sponsor this week which is hover hover is the best place on the internet to get your hands on a domain name which you should absolutely do if you have yet to do so a domain name is the very first piece the cornerstone piece if you will of your online presence of your online home base. So for me, it's thomasjfrank.com. I can direct people to thomasjfrank.com where I have a personal website that not only tells people about me and my work, but also has content. I'm writing articles. I'm writing notion tutorials I'm building courses. I'm building monetization opportunities. But even if you're not trying to run a business, a personal website is a very powerful thing to have. In fact, Martin, you once made a website that was literally an application for a job. Yep. Like wasn't even a personal website. Like in general, it was like, a, I want to work at this place.com. <laughs> yeah. And I only applied for that uh,
1: single job and I did get it. So I'd say it was worth getting you, that domain name.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's kind of, I think it's a pretty innovative use of a domain name, but you also have like martinbay.me. I've got thomasjfrank.com. I think that is the first domain you should buy. Not least of which, because if somebody else takes it, like the guy who took Thomas J or thomasfrank.com before I could get it, because I was like nine years old at the time, well then you just can't get it unless they let it expire. So even if you're not intending to build a website right now, it's a good idea to snag a domain name just so you have it reserved for whenever you wanna start using it. And Hover is the best place on the internet to get domains. They've got 400 plus different domain extensions. You've got .lol, .limo, blog, but also your typical dot Those are pretty good for personal websites and their checkout process is hassle free and friction free as well. You can get a domain in less than 30 seconds. Once you do, there is a tool for hooking it up to website builders and online store builders. And there's another tool where you can even get a professional email address such as thomas at thomasjfrank.com. So to get 10% off your first order and to support the show and to lock down that domain name so no one else can take it from you, go over to hover.com slash CIG. It is H-O-V-E-R.com slash CIG. And once again, big thanks to Hover for sponsoring this episode and supporting our show, which you are now going to get back into. But yeah, uh, anyway, how do you practice, Martin? What is, what is deliberate practice for you?
1: Well, I have to do deliberate practice in a lot of different things because I like too many different things. So I actually- That's
0: true. (laughs) We're in the same boat.
1: Yeah, I took some time to try to figure out a few examples that I've been Mm -hmm. doing lately. Um, One of them is piano-based. I've been messing around with modes. So in order to sort of absorb the audio qualities of the modes, right now I'm, I'm trying to focus on one of them at a time and kind of limit myself to playing in that mode, experimenting with it, seeing what all it does. Right now I'm doing
0: Dorian because it's relatively mm-hmm. simple. Um, so that, that's pretty cool. Just For people who don't know, can you explain what a mode is in music? So a mode is sort
1: of a flavor of a key signature. So if you're playing, if you're playing in C major, this is the easiest one to talk about since I don't have to point out black keys. It's all the white keys. Mm-hmm. It, the, starting with C. Yeah, the tonality is when it's C major, when you're starting on the key of C and C feels sort of like the home that the song comes back to and and lives at. Mm-hmm. If you instead use those very same keys, so if you were writing it on a on sheet music, it would still look like C major. Depending on which key feels like home, it could be a different mode, or it could be a minor of a different key. And each each starting key, each little home area you can start from, has certain chords within there that work more interestingly to bring you back and forth while staying within that flavor. Mm-hmm. And they can sound significantly different. Like, they just feel different. It's one of the interesting things about music to me is that even even if i can't explain out loud why is this tonality different from this one i can easily hear that one sounds a little bit more minor that one sounds a little yeah. bit more major this one sounds a little a little different than both i'm not sure why but like you can hear that it that it's different somehow and mm-hmm. the modes are a really interesting way to try that out for me
0: Yeah, understanding modes was like a brain blast for me, especially when I realized that, oh, for every major scale, like C major, if you just start on the sixth degree of that scale, then you are in the corresponding natural minor scale. So like the natural minor is simply a mode of the major scale and also vice versa yeah yeah and it's also called aeolian so it like dorian That's it right. gets
1: its own fancy name but i love me some aeolian i'm interested and- in trying what i do love aioli <laughs> i'm interested in trying some more stuff with uh i haven't verified that this is how it's pronounced but locrian a very interesting mm-hmm. and unstable mode
0: that doesn't Locrian's use, a weird
1: one. Uh, there's a Bjork song that apparently- I was uses gonna say, yeah. That, of Me. that I, I, Bjork song is Bjork. the only song I know of
0: that's in, in so Locrian. I'm
1: very interested in that one, but I wanna start with a more stable, Dorian's a much more stable, and by that I mean yeah. when you're playing it, if you're, if you're trying to write a song in Dorian, it is less likely that you're accidentally going to drift into a different mode. But mm-hmm. Locrian's very weird and unstable, and, and it's very easy. To accidentally slip into just a slightly different mode and not realize it at first because it, it uses yeah. some unconventional combinations. so I want to try that one, but it's not the first one. Mm-hmm. I need to absorb the idea of modes first but yeah that's I've been I've been trying to do that specifically because I don't have a ton of time to push forward on piano, so I need to make sure that when I am doing something I'm basically honing in on something to make the most of what time I have right. Uh, another thing I've been doing, this is far less artistic. Uh, I've been playing Monster Hunter, and I've recently found a really good support ability. And okay. I'm experimenting with a different weapon now, because I usually I'm a hammer user, obviously. And with my new newfound support <laughs> ability, where I can heal people very easily, near the end game stuff. Cause we're looking at the Elatrion and the Fatalis, you know, everybody's going to know what I'm talking about, but we're near very difficult stuff. And I'm trying to learn the bow because the support person probably shouldn't risk their life up front with a hammer. That seems like it doesn't, there's no synergy there. There's, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't make sense. And that game is so in depth that I'm going to need to study different abilities of that weapon separately Yeah. over and over and over. And it's, it's just a video game, but still If I don't deliberately practice it, I can't be good. Yeah, yeah. So basically, (laughs) I have to bring deliberate practice to be good at this video game because it is a very skill-based game. And even if you have end game armor and weapons and everything's perfect, if you don't know what you're doing, you're still going to die every time. So Mm -hmm. it's one of the more
0: try-hard games that I play. I've been having to do some of the same stuff for Fortnite. And I guess that's like sort of one of the, biggest ideas in deliberate practice is you need to go into a practice session with a strong intent of what you want to walk out of that practice session having done or accomplished or gained and that's like the that's i think that's the reason why most people often don't make as much progress in a practice session as they want to because they go in they're like okay i'm just going to do the thing whatever it is Uh, so like for monster hunter, I'm just going to go fight a monster or for playing Fortnite, It's like, I'm just going to go jump into a match and play. And a lot of times when I'm playing with the intention of getting better, I won't go into matches and play. I'll instead go into the creative mode to specifically drill different patterns of building because building is like a super important part of that game. So like. There's one thing called a ramp rush where you're like building a series of ramps to get yourself above an opponent and also closer to them. And there's so many different buttons you have to hit because you don't want to just build ramps. You want to build like straight walls behind each ramp to guard it from being shot down. And then you want to build a floor under that to give it extra protection. So that's like a whole different, like, I don't know, eight button combo of muscle memory that you want to do as fast as possible. And when you're playing a real game, you have so many other things going on that you're not gonna be able to practice that and get the muscle memory down. So like deliberate practice would mean going into creative and just drilling that for like half an hour. Cause you need to isolate until it from it become, the other parts of that. You gotta isolate a, it, yeah. And then, point. you know, maybe another practice session once you have that down is like, okay, now I'm gonna drill ramp rushes while uh, an opponent is shooting at me. Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna do another build pattern and I'm gonna try to combine them together. So like that's that's like the main thing in deliberate practice is whatever you're doing, you need to have intention and then you need to figure out like what's gonna get me there. So like I talked about the music video I'm shooting I had to transcribe my own solo usually when I sit down to quote unquote practice guitar, I'm just playing guitar I'm like oh I'm just gonna play whatever I want. but if I want to get better at something, I need to have that intention. So for the solo, it's like cool my practice session is I'm going to set an in out point or I guess my my ultimate intent is I'm going to transcribe a minute of this song and i've learned like sitting down to transcribe the whole song at least for me not possible it is some of the most mentally taxing work i've done in a long time (laughs) trying to listen to something i played off the top of my head and then learn how to play it especially with guitar since there are six strings so for any note there's probably three different places i could have played it at least um so You know, it's just so difficult. So, like a practice session is go in, set the loop points, keep looping it. And my intention is to come out having learned a minute of this song so that I can play along with it. And to do that, I need to set 10 minute increments loop, 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 loop until I can play it, then move on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's so easy to just fall into just
0: messing around. And it's just so easy to fall back on what's easy because real deliberate practice is. I I would use the word painful in in a way like either it's slow. So you really want to be doing something else in like that you're already good at or it is incredibly mentally taxing and your brain's just like, I don't want to do this. Let me do something easier. Or, you know, if it's like an athletic skill, it might actually be painful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even in just the game, I do feel a bit of that pain because it's
1: like. Everything my brain wants to do, all the well-worn neural pathways that I've set up to play this game, I'm not allowed to use them. And mm-hmm. it's just, I have to shut down all the parts I'm good at, and suddenly nothing, this, nothing is easy anymore, and it doesn't feel good. It feels like like I had to practice on some of the easiest stuff to learn the moves, and I'm just like, I. but why am I not immediately good? Usually I can play this mm-hmm. without even looking. And now I suck again, and that doesn't feel good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, and that's that's kind of like an interesting insight is like when people believe that they are good at a certain thing, what they are good at in actuality is a very narrow application of that thing. Like I'm not good at guitar. I'm good at guitar right-handed. If I switch them around, I can't do the same stuff. It's like I'm completely a beginner again. yeah or you know when i play piano i'm like okay i can't play the piano i can play the right handed parts of the piano the moment i try to throw in left handed parts at the same time it all falls apart so to maintain so, that
1: illusion to yourself that you're like
0: really <laughs> good at something you have to lie to yourself about the rest of it and just avoid it exactly yeah right like okay i'm good at guitar but i'm i'm only going to play these you know 20 odd uh improv patterns that i've drilled over over time and never do anything else because that keeps up the illusion that oh i'm good at guitar what what i'm really good at is these specific things in guitar and the moment i try to i don't know play a four chord sequence of bar chords i realize oh i've got a lot to learn still i got a lot to do yeah. So when you don't come into a practice session with intentionality and you haven't identified something you want to do, it is almost certain that you're going to end up falling back into those patterns that are already easy for you and already fun and, and natural, and you're not going to get much better. So like bring on the pain and do that by having some sort of intentional goal in mind. And I, you know, I guess this is an argument for, um, going through a course or getting a coach or a teacher in certain, in certain uh, instances, because often you don't know what the steps that you should be taking are. So like, you know, getting somebody to to program for you is a good way to sort of bring you through things. I remember with singing, like I didn't even know what I should be working on. Sometimes I would pick things and be like, okay, well, I want to sing this song and later on, like working with my coach, realizing, oh, okay, what you're picking right now, like, I love that you wanna learn that. I love the enthusiasm. You've picked something that is beyond your ability now, and there are like 15 things you need to learn before working on this. (laughs) I remember specifically like picking Johnny Craig songs and trying to imitate his vocal fry, which I can do now decently well, but when I was doing it as a beginner, and then I went to my coach. He's like, OK, what you're doing now is just straining your voice. And because you're trying so hard to imitate this vocal fry, all of your tonality, all of your timing, all of the sh- like the, the shape of your voice, the way you're moving air, that's all falling apart because you're straining to imitate this one very advanced technique without first having built the foundation that you need to use it properly. Mm. Yeah, and th- and that's not fun to hear. And
1: uh, yeah, it's kinda, not fun it to hear, but it's like down. it's good to hear because it gives it gives me a path. Oh, it's it's absolutely good to hear, but it's never fun to hear. You're not even close. You need to you need to keep going. But um, it, there's a there was a quote that I liked from I don't remember which thing it's from. It's from Koichi of Text Fugu, Kani, Tofugu style oh, Japanese yeah. learning things. But it was uh, when learning feels difficult, learning is actually happening. And that's mm-hmm. unfortunately the situation here is that if it's not a little bit painful, if it's not a little bit disappointing that you're not there yet, you're probably just retreading old ground.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like the the cruel joke of skill development is like to get better, you're almost constantly feeling like you suck.
1: You have to commit to never <laughs> quite feeling like you're there.
0: Yeah. You know, or, or, or you can, you know, take time out to play or use your skill. But, you know, any time that you're really practicing, it's never going to feel like you're good. That's also a little you bit. Because pick something that's beyond your comfort zone. It's like the
1: corollary to the, the Dunning-Kruger effect a little bit, right? Because in order to keep learning, Remind you have to. Remind me what that is again? Well, the Dunning-Kruger effect is when somebody who doesn't know much about something doesn't realize how much mm. they don't know. You'll see it a lot in the news and everywhere all the time where people think And then
0: people who hire web designers and artists yeah, to do anything. And
1: they're like, listen, it should be like this and here's why. And But the, the only reason they think it's that easy is because they have no idea what they're talking about. And then mm. the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So in this case, you must commit to the more you get good at this, the more <laughs> you're going to feel like just a tiny, tiny fledgling student. Yeah, forever. You don't get that expert feeling you might have had the first time you learned to cover a song when you were like, I can mm-hmm. do this. I'm invincible. To keep going, you gotta, you have to be that little baby student.
0: Yep. Forever and all good intellectual learning comes from that commitment. I had some painful Dunning-Kruger effect the other day. So I moved into this house and uh, my intention is to turn the basement, which is, I think it's like 1200 square feet into the ultimate like basement content creation studio. And because I own this house, I would love to actually do it myself for the most part and like learn all that stuff. Um, So the first three projects are wire up part of the house for ethernet because there isn't ethernet in the house yet. And I want this upstairs office that I'm in right now to be where the router and the modem are because it's the best access point for the wireless. But then I need Ethernet going downstairs, hopefully without snaking its way through the house like it is right now. Uh, I need carpet because the basement is now using some sort of like fake wood laminate floating floor that I hate. And then the walls are stark white, so I want to paint. So I'm like, oh, I can do all of these. And then I watch a couple of YouTube videos on what it actually takes to carpet a room and I'm like, <laughs> my base is just sinking as I'm watching this. Like, oh, that's what it takes. It's not just oh, a unique rug. <laughs> that piece of equipment. Oh, like you need to to do like a seam between two pieces of carpet. Like there's an iron you get that heats up, and then you put it like under the two pieces, and an expert carpet layer essentially, you know, runs this iron over this hot piece of tape and perfectly seals the two pieces of carpet together. So you would never know they were separate. And then, like to get the carpet stretched to the side of the room, there's like this crazy extending pole thing with like almost like a cat brush at the end of it that you just like slam down on the carpet and it hooks in, and then you stretch the carpet to the. So I'm like, oh, okay. Not only do I need a lot more expertise, and I think I also need all these weird specialized tools that I would probably never use again. So I'm I'm now back over to the camp of hmm, maybe I'm going to hire somebody. For
1: <laughs> you should just get a floor of entirely overlapping rugs. It's super uneven everywhere. The patterns are jarring and don't go together.
0: Well, so like that is a that's a good joke. Uh, I have noticed that a lot of people who do the DIY carpet method will do like a tile carpet. Like you can buy carpet tiles, but I think that they look awful. So I want uh, both for like feet purposes and also acoustic property purposes. I want like big plush carpet. So, like, it's going to take well, that, it's that's going to a pro. Not A
1: whole bunch of rugs you can just throw all over the ground. Not just you should a hire bunch the pros
0: and then tell them rugs are but also, expensive. I'll
1: pay you extra if you teach me. Let me help you. And then you'll just be like the little kid that gets in their way
0: the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder like how against insurance that is to like let the client be there, like helping. <laughs> I'm I'm sure like most professional insurance. That's a solid point. Are, like, don't let your clients help, especially if it involves them using the seam iron. That makes a lot of sense. That would be bad for their <laughs>
1: equipment and also for some client that would inevitably complain. It wasn't
0: done right when it was them. Excuse me, sir. Uh, just Just one question. What does it mean if I accidentally ironed over my hand into the seam? It does hurt. <laughs> you, yeah, you shouldn't have to sign a waiver for for carpeting. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to let them carpet the basement. I I want to document the process and maybe make something out of it like on Nebula. Um so what I'll probably just do is I'll have to do like a before and after unless they're cool with me filming parts of it. Yeah. But yes, the 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 floor has to go. It has to become carpet. It's really bad right now. But yeah, like that, that's a perfect example you often don't know what you don't know and at first it's like, oh it's going to be so easy and then you start learning and you're like oh never mind <laughs> this is terrible yeah building my coffee table was a good example like that too i'm like oh it's just easy just get two pieces of wood stain it put these metal eggs uh, build them out of pipe that's it there's all kinds of other things i had to do sand every piece it up get cool, like though. this primer it did end up great yeah i mean it was a great learning experience it just was Yet another example that, oh, everything you think that there's going to involve, there's like 10,000 other things. Yeah. It's going to be way harder. Sometimes I think back to what we've had to go through to dial in our podcasting setup because now it feels so easy. Like, and I think that's part of skill development is like you almost forget what all went into the learning process. Now we sit down, we record it's it's like not that hard, but I remember when I spent like a full day tearing my hair out because there was this little buzz in the audio signal and I had to spend like all this time learning about power conditioning and how sometimes the power coming out of your wall is like not uh it's not like a clean signal, so it can cause this hum in audio equipment. And I had to buy all this stuff to figure out how to get rid of that. It was a pain. Yeah, There's so much to it. Many, and now many bricks like, ah, were later. Yep. So, which is why it can sometimes be good to learn from people who are not masters because the masters have often forgotten what it took to get to where they are, unless they are also very skilled in the art of teaching. Yeah. You know, like that, that's a skill in and of itself. I remember being like, why do, why do people have to go to school to get like a teacher's degree in addition to the degree and what they want to teach? Like, shouldn't you just be able to get a math degree and then teach math? And then, you know, that that's yet another Dunning-Kruger. Because then growing up as a somewhat of a teacher making educational content, I realized, oh, there's a whole bunch to sequencing and empathy and learning, you know, what you need to teach and how and what order and all that kinds of stuff like they're not going to teach you that when you're taking your math degree no, they're too busy talking about squiggly lines and stuff now that's math for this deliberate
1: practice one of the important things if uh somebody were wanted were to want to do it would be to learn how to break down their bigger skill Mm -hmm. into the sub skills learning how to figure out what what exactly is small enough that i can do it but big enough that it's not pointless you know like I, if i practice dorian i'm doing something but if i'm just like i'm gonna practice hitting the c key like that's obviously too i've gone too small that's no <laughs> longer
0: anything yeah um that's now a meditation not a practice
1: well then i gotta get like some cool like tibetan singing bowls or something if I'm gonna go. stick with the same note like that'd be super cool mm. but i had a couple ideas mm. about that because i i, I was thinking about this podcast coming up while I was doing my Japanese homework yesterday. And it occurred to me, this seems so obvious now, but uh, this is kind of how textbooks work. You know, like I have yep. a whole page of homework and it's exclusively do this same grammatical exercise over and over yep. and over and over and over. And you don't really appreciate that all the time. Cause a lot of times when one is doing homework, they're thinking, why am I doing homework? This is boring, but it's boring because, you are doing the deliberate practice and if you actually commit mm-hmm. to it, you can come out of it. But in addition to just textbooks, you could, if you were learning something new, you could find a book on the topic or or even just a textbook or a course somewhere and look at the the chapter titles, see how they break it down. And you don't necessarily if you're if you're doing a course, and obviously you could just take the course at this point if you found yeah. a course. But you don't always have to do the whole thing. If you find a subskill in there and you're like, that's that's the chapter for me, you could just deliberate practice by learning that chapter, assuming there aren't a bunch of yeah. prerequisites to it. But, but the people who put all their time into teaching these subjects and writing about them have put some thought into how to divide it into subskills that should give a mm-hmm. pretty good jumping start.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'd say like teaching is a valuable skill. So if you find a course that is well priced and is valuable, you know, it's it's worth taking it if if you can. If you can't, probably just take. Then yeah, like looking, looking through the course listing and looking at the videos or looking at the table of contents in a book that could actually be a great way to give you a bit of a head start. Like you said, in figuring out how do I sequence my practice, how do I break this down.
1: Yeah, and at the very least, if you're going to go through a course or a book like that, and if you wanted to include a bunch of time for deliberate practice. Even if you're going along with it, this will tell you, okay, so if I want to spend maybe a week of deliberate practice on each piece, how many pieces are there? How have they broken mm-hmm. this down? How, how, many, how much time do I think I'm going to have to give if I want to really let each section sink in before I move on?
0: Yeah. I think there's, there's also something to be said for learning how to develop your own exercises for deliberate practice. Like that in, in and of itself is a skill. So take, for example, um, you know, rhythm guitar, knowing that, okay, if I want to practice, uh, bar chords, a good exercise would be to pick four chords and then play them in a chord sequence or a chord progression with a metronome and, you know, get to the point where I feel comfortable playing at 80 BPM, then move up to 90 BPM. Nobody told me to do that exercise there was no textbook that says you need to do chord progressions and increasing your tempo. Like that's just something that I kind of made up as an exercise. And it seems like a very obvious exercise. So I'm not saying like I made up the idea of doing four <laughs> yeah, bar chord progressions at, at an increasing tempo. Like cool music students chords. do that all the time. But I don't, I don't have a guitar teacher. I don't, I've never read a guitar book. It's just something where I'm like, you need to think about it. How would I develop an exercise that I think would result in? a lot of skill development Well, I'm trying to get better at bar bar chords, which means I need to get better at both holding that bar chord and playing it and and having the the chord ring out nicely and beautifully, but also getting good at switching to the next chord. And I need to be able to do it at speed. So let me pick a tempo where I can comfortably do it and then practice that for a while and then move up 10 BPM or five BPM. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's, that's an example of a useful, practice or the idea of looping 10 seconds of my improv within my DAW until I've transcribed it and been able to play it myself like that no one's telling me to do that in a specific detail I basically just heard Charles say we as jazz musicians transcribe solos and then I'm like well cool I can loop a section of my DAW that sounds like a great way to be able to hear that section over and over and over again and limit it to something that I can analyze and keep in my short-term memory because if I'm just listening to the whole song, like <laughs> there's just no way I'm going to remember it.
1: Yeah, you know? and and that particular skill is something you're going to want to pick up over the course of anything because once you get to the advanced, even late-stage intermediate levels, you're going to stop finding as much obvious instruction. You're going to mm-hmm. need to be able to teach yourself to push past it unless you have like a very specifically aligned master
0: there for you. And you may eventually become the best in the world at your specific implementation of the skill you're working at. You know, like I don't think I'll ever become the best guitarist in the world, but there may eventually come a point where the way in which I play, I've gotten into territory where nobody plays like that in, in the way that I'm specifically trying to play. And at that point, like, okay, well, if I want to keep progressing along that path, I have to develop my own exercises. Um, you know, and this is maybe a little bit like wishful thinking for me. So let's use a real example. There's a guitarist named Tommy Emmanuel, And Tommy Emmanuel. if you go listen to uh, the way he plays acoustic guitar, and he's actually, I think he's got a TED or a TEDx talk. It's like, my life is a one-man band. The style of guitar playing he developed is almost completely unique. There's a little bit of inspiration that he's taken from people. like I think it was like a Chet Atkins a couple of other guitarists from the 60s. Um, But other than that, and I think he's even gone beyond what they did, he plays in a way that almost no one does at his level. So the way in which he has to practice to get better at his style of playing involves coming up with his own exercises or going out and seeking different styles of playing to incorporate into how he does it. There's nobody out there who's gonna be like, all right, Tommy, I'm already been down your path. Here's exactly how to do it. He the buck talks with him. And if he wants to advance his art in along the path he's created, then he has to figure out how to practice himself. Yeah.
1: This whole conversation is really so,
0: making me wanna make pixel art later. Do it, make yourself some pixel art. Well, I, I have one more little piece of advice that I wanna mention here, like a different dimension to deliberate practice. Um, and that is copying actually. Uh, And, you know, that kind of goes back to what Charles had said when we talked about how like jazz musicians um, very commonly will take a solo that some other musician has played, which is improvisational, and they will transcribe it and learn to play it exactly as the original artist did. So, you know, a classic example is John Coltrane's Giant Steps saxophone solo. They will learn how to play that. And they won't do it so they can go and then play that solo on stage somewhere and just copy it. But they want to sort of learn in detail how that musician played and learn the vocabulary of music through the practice of learning that specific solo. So then they can take components of it and add it to their own repertoire and then go and do things. So I do this a lot with video editing. Uh, Like I said, I I was kind of like going for Matt D'Avelo's style with this video that I'm doing. And it's not because I want to copy his style, but I want to understand the vocabulary of video editing that he knows in that style. And the only way that I'm going to do it is to basically do it myself. And then I can add my own flair to it later on. Uh, But the great thing about copying is when you're copying something, you have a built-in feedback mechanism right there in front of you because not all skills have perfect feedback mechanisms built in, so like Monster Hunter, it does. Like the monster kills you Very if frequent. you're bad at it. <laughs> so that, that's pretty good feedback. Um, chess has brilliant feedback mechanisms built right in. You make a move and your opponent or the computer makes a counter move and then you can sort of judge like, okay, how good was that move? You instantly get feedback. Um, with other things you, you might not, like with music, If no one else is listening, then what you're playing, like you may not be able to judge very well for yourself how good it is in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. But if you're transcribing John Coltrane saxophone solo, well, you can play a segment and you can listen to how he played it. And then the comparison there is your feedback mechanism. The closer and closer you get to replicating how he played in terms of, you know, the touch and the the dynamics and the correct notes and the timing and everything, the swing, like the closer you get, you know, the, the more, you know, you have, you've done a good job. So that's what I would say It's like, if you can, if you can pull an example from somebody who's better than you are, and then go through the practice of trying to replicate what they did, then. That's going to help you progress very quickly. And you're going to learn a lot about the skill through that process. And you don't have to go through the effort of of trying to make up a practice for yourself. All you need to do is, you know, put yourself to the task of replicating that as good as possible. You might pick something that is a little too advanced, but I think even, even if you do that, you're going to learn something in the process. But you're also going to learn about picking things that may be a little bit too advanced or at your level. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna pick Avengers Endgame as something I want to replicate in a YouTube video.
1: <laughs> that that seems like there's a whole lot of different sub skills inside of that that you would Such need to Such as having first. an army of
0: people to yeah. work with. Yeah. Uh having about three hundred actors to work with <laughs> and a, a budget of five hundred million dollars or whatever. A lot it was. Of makeup
1: and costuming work.
0: Uh, yep we haven't done yeah well so that that's another like meta skill here is being able to select something that is just outside of your comfort zone for you to replicate
1: yeah so you don't if you pick something <clears throat> too far you'll feel bad about yourself and you just mm-hmm. hurt yourself you gotta
0: well i don't i don't i don't know if it's like the worst thing ever uh I think it could sometimes be worth it to pick something that's way out of your comfort zone as long as you have the realization that I'm not trying to re- like replicate this entire thing, but I am trying to take something from it.
1: Uh, if your expectations are, you know? are reasonable, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Like we've got uh, Tony, my editor, and, and myself, we have an idea for next year. We wanna do a video where we compete to see who can replicate this other YouTuber's intro. So there's another YouTuber named Ben Marriott who does After Effects tutorials, and he has this really cool intro. It's like, I don't know, eight, nine seconds every time. But in that eight to nine seconds, there is a ton going on, and I can already tell there's like 15, 16 different After Effects techniques that I don't even know about yet that he's using. But we wanna do a video next year where we go head to head to see who can get closer to his intro. And then have him be the judge. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to do that video at some point. And I know, like, there's no way that in, in a reasonable amount of time I'm going to make anything even near as good as what his final product is. But I'm going to learn something. Yeah. Um, but with, with certain other occasions, like I'll take something. Like uh, I remember there was a specific animation in the Crash Course videos. It was a really small thing, like they would have a picture come out to the side, but instead of just keyframing the picture off screen onto the side, there was like this cool striped diamond thing that would sort of spin out and cover a lot of the screen at an angle. And then the picture would sort of like reveal itself on top of that. And there was like a moving drop shadow. And I realized like, okay, I don't know how to do that right now, but I can break down the individual components of the animation. And I think I can replicate all of them. So I took an evening and I did exactly that. I eventually ended up with something that looked exactly like their animation. And then from there, I took what I learned and I built my own that was very different, but used some of the same techniques. So if you look at my old videos, there's this um, there's like a text box animation that I sometimes do where it's like a half circle will animate itself onto the side of the screen using like striped circles. And then uh, like a pie wedge comes up and we'll have a text box. Well, that came out of that exercise. I replicated Crash Course's version, and I made my own that was different, but took what I learned. So, yeah, I think, I think there's value in, in both ways. Finding something that you think you can replicate entirely, and then finding something that is a bit too challenging, but you know you're going to learn something from it.
1: Yeah.
0: Just different applications. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, should we move into our call member questions? Probably. Probably. Yeah, let's go for it. Um yeah, well, just as a reminder, the, the conversation I had with Charles is on Nebula, the uh, on the nebula ad free version of the Emporium, and also in video form on the Thomas Frank channel over on Nebula. So watch nebula.com. Well, I didn't pronounce that very well. Watch nebula.com is where you can go to check that out if you're curious. We are gonna get into some cult member questions, starting with this one. Do you do anything to prevent myopia or short sightedness, which is strongly associated with time indoors, plus extended periods of time looking at close up objects like screens? So I know you had a concern with this question, which is that the medical science oh, yeah. uh, I don't around the, the idea that staring at a screen does cause myopia is not like it's not concrete. Yeah, I'm not an like, expert. We don't have in this like a, if you, Yeah, I'm not an expert. You're not an expert. And as far as I know, like I did a bit of preliminary research and I don't believe that the medical community has said like, yes, definitively, if you stare at screens all day, you're going to get myopia and need glasses. That being said, my philosophy on this is uh, the body in general is a use it or lose it thing. You know, when astronauts go to space, if they spend too long in space, they come back and they have bone density problems. Their bones become brittle because the lack of gravity signals to the body, oh, I don't need to keep pumping nutrients and resources into the bones and they deteriorate over time. Same, the muscles atrophy, that's why it's incredibly important for them to be exercising all day with their resistance bands and everything. Uh, But lack of gravity makes it very tough. So my philosophy here is the muscles in the eyes were evolved to allow you to keep focusing on uh, objects and subjects at multiple different distances, track things that are moving, like that's what they're for. So if I'm spending all day every day looking at something that is exactly the same distance in front of me, I just don't feel that that's healthy long term. So I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's, that's kind of how I look at it.
1: I've never even really, I don't even know if I could have said the word myopia like from my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. I, I I think I've heard it before, but I never would have thought to think about it, you know? But yeah. I do make specific efforts to go outside regularly, just as a general rule. Mm-hmm. I try to go for a walk every day, even if it's incredibly cold. And I try to do things like photography and piano that take me away from screens. Like I, yeah. I never really had a specific eye based reason for it. It just felt like As a whole, I should probably do more than one type of activity. And unfortunately, we spend a lot of our days staring at or tapping a piece of glass. And uh, I would like to stare at or tap different types of things like piano Mm -hmm.
0: keys. Yeah. Uh, So there's something called the 20-20-20 rule, which says every 20 minutes, you want to take a break and look at something at least 20 feet away for at least 20 seconds. Uh, now personally, I don't want a timer on my computer. That's like, Hey, 20 minutes, go look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds and then get right back to what you're doing. So I do not follow the 20, 20, 20 rule in detail, but I do exactly what you just said. Get outside every day, which is also getting you vitamin D and, you know, other healthy things. Cause you're probably walking or going and doing something active. Um, and then take, you know, take breaks often, get up, stretch. Get some water a couple, you know, a couple times an hour or something like that. Um, the one thing I don't want to be doing is sitting here just for hours and hours and hours sedentary because the development of myopia will be the least of my issues. It'll, it'll I get to that. my back and neck way before it gets to my eyes. Yep. Yep. Chronic neck pain, chronic back pain, all, you know, all kinds of stuff you don't want. So just make sure you're taking breaks. You know, take breaks, be active. I think this is more important than fancy ergonomic desk chairs or standing desks or any of this stuff that people try to sell you. I've been thinking about this like a lot over the past few days. Like the the industries that have, that have contributed to the development of our different type of lifestyle now and its associated uh, health problems we often look to those same industries to solve those problems for us. They like, like it. That way. Oh, I look at my phone too much. Let me get an app that tells me not to look at my phone too much. <laughs> oh, I stay up too late watching TV and looking at my screens. Let me get a sleep tracking app that tells me to go to sleep. So I don't do that. Oh, I, I keep staring at my computer for too long and I sit down too long. Let me get like a fancy ergonomic chair that is better for me to sit down too long. Like, you know, there's, it's not like there's no merit towards finding a a product or a service or a solution that can uh, make your behaviors more healthy that you're going to do. But I think so often that is our first thought when our first thought should be, well, how do I reduce the time I spend doing this activity that is unhealthy?
1: How do I stop hurting myself in the first place so that I don't need to
0: cure myself quite as much? Mm -hmm. You know, i found that there just seem to be so many incentives in my life that conspire to uh, make me want to take on things that require me to sit in front of a computer more. Like, oh, I want to make more money. Well, to do that, I need to start a new channel or build a product. It all comes down to spend more time in front of the computer. It's all big
1: desk chair. They're doing I it. I want
0: to get more followers. Well, that means I got to go post more things on Instagram and I got to post more videos on YouTube. Well, that means more time sitting in the desk on the computer. You know, and the, these incentives are very tempting. Money is a very tempting incentive. Followers are very tempting incentives because they are tangible numbers that go up and it's very easy to get addicted to them. Uh, And, you know, without some deliberate decision-making, it's hard to uh, look at those incentives and be like, well, what I care about more is free time. Time to go outside. You know, the ability to get up from my desk, the ability to maybe only work six hours a day instead of eight. So I th- I think these are things we need to keep in mind more often. I shouldn't be
1: balanced and happy. Nobody follows me for that. It's not interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, cult member question number two. Do you have any advice for dealing with a video game addiction? Um, Do you?
1: Well, there was a... Basically, I'm only ever really good at quitting things cold turkey. Personally, that's the mm-hmm. only way I can do things. I moderation is just three seconds away from me betraying myself every time. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd probably just recommend removing every game from your life for at least a 30 day sort of detox challenge because I did that. It was either mm-hmm. this January or the one before. It was one of the previous Januaries.
0: And we had an episode on it. Didn't yeah, we? we
1: had an episode on it. It was it was a January. And it ended Mm -hmm. up being really fulfilling, actually. So I would suggest trying it. I found a ton of free time that had been mysteriously disappearing into the game void. And I was less overwhelmed. And I could suddenly do a lot more things. And yeah, I I would just do a 30-day, pull everything, delete everything from your phone, unplug and put away all your consoles, get it off your computer. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've got serious problems with this, I just wanted to lessen the amount of time I played. but. Yeah. I didn't have like a serious, serious problem with it. And if one does, if they do this and want to come back to it, they should probably come back to it with limitations. Like only play games on maybe like a Saturday or only play a certain amount of time each day, but have a hard stop um, yeah. or only play games that don't pull you in so deeply. You know, there's a difference between World of Warcraft, which begs you to never stop, And gives you social guilt to keep going as well. Everything about it wants you to be addicted to it. Even if if it's fun, it is trying to make you addicted to it. Uh, But then a game Mm -hmm. like Baba Is You, one of my favorite indie games from the last couple years, it's just these little cool logic puzzles. I can play that for one level and immediately detach. It's not driven by narrative. It's not driven by the addiction of collecting things. So I'm never just like, just one more. Give me one more. You get in, you play a game. You get out. You could potentially limit yourself to that style of game entirely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Baba's use is an interesting one because it almost seems designed to prevent you from playing too long. Because it gets like intellectually
1: you know? tiring. It becomes
0: yeah hard. One level is like, I'm done. I that figured it out. I got to take a fantastic. break. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. But I feel that way about uh, roguelikes as well. Like if I play Enter the uh, Gungeon, yeah. I'll do a run and you know when i inevitably die i'm like okay that was fun but there's no way i'm starting another run yeah
1: so it kind of incentivizes not doing it again (laughs)
0: because at that point you're like did i really just
1: after all that work
0: fine i'll do Mm -hmm. something else that's a good point i didn't think about roguelikes same with uh with you know fortnite like fortnite is great because you know i can't see friends right now so it's actually a great way for me to hang out with friends um but the other thing is you know i'll play 3 4 matches and then I'm done. Like I I don't want to get back in and play again after that. There is like a a fatigue to it. You know, and then when I take a break, and come back the next day, I'm like super excited to jump back in, but it's not one of those games where I'm just like, "Oh my god, I need another another match, another match." Yeah, this isn't and, like that. And if if don't. you don't experience that fatigue, just
1: some sort of strict time limit, but I would prefer rather than a daily time limit saying something like Saturday is game day and I can play games all hmm. Saturday because even if you're just playing for a time limit every day during the week, you are kind of still building the habit of playing every day, which yeah. may eventually betray you.
0: There's also this idea in habit building that you don't break bad habits, you replace them. So I don't know if it's entirely productive to just say, I'm quitting video games cold turkey and then leaving it that because you know now you don't have a plan for what you're gonna do to replace that time, which you know inevitably is gonna lead you to some moments of just sitting there going, don't play the game, don't play the game, Tom. But if you're like, I'm not gonna play video games for the next 30 days, and instead I'm going to uh, learn the piano and I start working with the piano teacher, or I'm going to call my mom once a day for half an hour, I'm, I'm gonna do something, I've got a plan for what I'm going to do to fill that time. Well, now, if you've picked something that you find enjoyable, you've replaced that. You've replaced that bad habit with something different that at least fills the time and maybe keeps you somewhat distracted. So you're not thinking about how much you want to play games right now. That is a solid point that I didn't consider because
1: I have so many things mm-hmm. I'm always doing that replacing it took no thought at all. But yeah, you don't just want to yeah. be sitting there bored. Oh, also, because same thing with like, you know. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, because this year's social, if you're getting social benefits from that, that you don't want to give up, one of the things that I've been doing is hanging out in like a Discord chat channel with friends while mm-hmm. I'm doing pixel art or Japanese. Like, yeah. like hang, I can still get the
0: social thing without actually being mm-hmm. in a game. Yep. Um, I've, I've noticed the benefit of this approach for like uh like food things. So like I like ice cream a lot weird um and every time i've been like i'm just not gonna eat ice cream tonight it it fails but i got like these you know it's like a 30 calorie little spicy ginger candy i love those so like they're great right and i have a bag of those and i'll just have a couple and uh some tea that i like and like that's enough you know that's a good night i'll have your snack a couple of ginger finally
1: aligned with mine Ginger
0: candies and tea <laughs> sounds delightful. I get the uh, the spiciest possible ginger ginger candies because they make several different varieties of them. I should get some of those. Yeah, so yeah, repl- replace those habits. And uh, I think you know, I think you're right. The whole like idea of going cold turkey is it's good for at least a limited challenge period. Otherwise, I don't know. It, it's very hard to self regulate when you're like, okay, I'm just going to let myself play half an hour of World of Warcraft. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's why
1: I prefer the the idea of just saying Saturday is I don't even care what I do Saturday because if I give yeah. myself, you know, 40 minutes every weekday, every single day there's going to be that part that's like, are you sure you want to quit at minute 40? Have you considered mm-hmm. minute 41? It's looking pretty good and then yeah. every day it's going to beg you to keep doing it. But if you just let Saturday be your cheat day, which also mm-hmm. works for me with like my dessert cravings, you know, just no, we wait for sweet Saturday. Yeah. It is the way.
0: Uh and you know think about it this way if like ask yourself if i have problems self regulating if i have problems with uh you know what's the word moderation well temptation is all about proximity to the thing that you have trouble self regulating with right like if if i just can't stop myself from eating ice cream well it's not going to be a problem if there's no ice cream in the freezer So if you're like, cool, you know, there's always this debate between just like going cold Turkey and, and finding some way to, to act in moderation. If you've already acknowledged to yourself, I have trouble acting in moderation, then why in your efforts to fix it, would you allow yourself to get close to that source of temptation on a regular basis? Yeah. Like I, I have an addiction to playing wow for three hours a night. Here's something to fix it. I'm going to, boot up wow and play it for 30 minutes yeah. and then tell myself while I'm playing wow. And I'm in the middle of a raid. Okay. I got to quit. I'm going to have one spoonful of ice cream every day. <laughs> that's that's, that's just, just not how it works. It's not going to you know, work. You, got, you need that, at least no, that I'm initial done cold with
1: turkey wow. detox. If you want to do moderation yep. later, maybe if you successfully break the habit, but you definitely, yeah, you, you need to break the habit triggers essentially.
0: hmm Yeah, and I think the best way to do that is just to remove the temptation altogether from your environment for uh, some period of time and then work as hard as you can to replace it with something that you look forward to doing. So you're replacing a bad habit with a positive one that you do still enjoy somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Inforium. I would say so. Yeah. So. Dear listener, if you would like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so by going over to theinforium.com. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all the things. If you enjoy this podcast, you've already subscribed, maybe consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It's definitely something that helps support this show. Uh, You can also just share this show with a friend, let them know that you have been listening and you like it. But beyond that, uh, I don't even know what I do for calls to action. I did subscribe. I did all the things. Yeah. I don't even know. Oh, oh, go go listen to my new song. Yeah. You gotta, if you you know, if you're a musician, you have to self promote. They all hate it. Artists hate to sell themselves, but you gotta do it. So go listen to my new song. It's called Atmospheric Entry. It's on my Spotify, Thomas Frank, or on my YouTube channel, Thomas Frank Music. Let me know what you think about it. And yeah, yeah. And, that's and, gonna do
1: it. And shout out to all y'all that's that's sharing that we're on your Spotify rap podcast list. That's, that's pretty cool.
0: Oh, I did see that. Yeah, yeah I saw seeing, a couple of seeing, the Instagram stories today. Pop up feels pretty cool. It does feel pretty cool. So yeah, thank you for, to everyone who shared that in your Instagram stories. It does make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And I think that's gonna do it. So as always, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Thanks for hanging out with us, and we will see you in our next episode, which will be the last one of 2020, I believe. So until then, thank you.